Hello there, and welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. You guys, I'm pooping my pants. Not literally, but I am just so excited about what just happened. I just interviewed Sarah Beek. For those of you who don't know her, she is a Harvard-trained scholar of comparative religions and the author of Red, Hot, and Holy and the Red Book and her newest book called Red Velations, A Soul's Journey to Becoming Human. So I heard about Sarah first when I went to Empowering Women, which is a conference that happens at different parts of the country. And I got her book, The Red Book, and it basically was talking about as a woman finding your spiritual connection, calling, whatever, because essentially the feminine has largely been left out of religion and spirituality. And then I read Red Hot and Holy, where she talks about her experience of really getting grounded and connected with her divine soul. And then Red Velations. I I say at the beginning of this interview with her that it is not for the faint of heart. And if you consider yourself a spiritual novice, I don't want to tell you not to read the book because I don't think that that's fair. But I also want to give fair warning that the things that she shares in this book, if you're not extremely open minded, might feel really threatening, might feel really scary. I myself found this book incredibly moving and healing. And I was able to kind of find my own connection to the work, even though I'm not necessarily connected in the way that she is. But I'm going to read a passage that talks a little bit about what the book is about to kind of share with you. Psychologists know that core wounds can happen at any time, but tend to occur when we are between zero to two years old, which means we can be wounded while in the womb. We become wounded from many different things, such as not being picked up one time when we were crying in our crib ongoing neglect, abuse, the absence of a parent, preferential treatment of a sibling during a fight, or overhearing a family member say something unkind to us, and so on. Because most of us are wounded at such a young age, it's not biologically safe for us to blame our caregivers, yet. Because they are our only means of survival and appear like gods to us, so we blame ourselves instead. We come up with a reason for why this has happened to us, which usually results in the belief that it happened because something is very wrong with us. We create these false beliefs about ourselves, often when we are pre-verbal. However, as adults, it's important to become conscious of and try to verbalize the beliefs that formed in reaction to the wound because they influence our decisions, generate our behaviors, and stimulate our strategies. Most commonly, we try to prove that we are the opposite of our wounded-based beliefs which often propels us to do what we do in life or our lives. So lots of big stuff there. And Sarah and I get pretty deep, pretty quick. So fair warning, lots of soul talk and divine talk. And this interview, I think, is quite a bit different than some of the ones I've done before. But if you have a bent towards spirituality and are looking for I guess I don't want to say model because I don't want to put her on that pedestal. But if you're looking for a woman who exemplifies really doing the wounded healer work in a spiritual way, Sarah Beak is your gal. So please, please, please enjoy my interview with Sarah. Hello, Sarah Beak. Hello there. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I really like... I'm a little fangirling right now. I feel like I've been so businesslike already in our introduction. I'm nervous as hell. I got to tell you. 
Well, that is fine, but there's absolutely no reason to be nervous. (laughs) I imagine. I imagine. Why don't we start with, I know who you are, but I'm very curious how you describe yourself and what you do. Yeah, I guess it's pretty simple these days. I'm just Sarah Beek. I'm a human (laughs) trying to be a human. And I guess that's what I do is that I'm trying to be more and more human. And I do that by practicing embodying my soul and sharing that with others. Mm, And that's all relevant to your latest book, Revelations, which blew my mind. So if listeners don't know, I've shared with several people, I'm like, I'm doing my first like celebrity interview today. And like (laughs) some people know who you are and some people don't. And so if listeners don't, I guess what I would say is your work is not for the faint of heart. No. Yeah. You know, I've been told that I think soul work, any kind of that isn't light work. It can be pretty intense and heavy. It also tends to be, at least in my experience, a bit unorthodox or a lot unorthodox, kind of depending. Mm -hmm. It's not like that's mandatory, but I think whenever we just are in that process of becoming more of who we are, boundaries get pushed in a healthy Mm -hmm. way. Boundaries both within ourselves, boundaries outside in terms of social and political and spiritual paradigms, like things just start sort of cracking. I think anytime a human takes another step in their own direction. So Mm. um, the intensity of that, yeah, I think it does require the thing that luckily all of us have, which is a human heart, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it takes some bravery for all of us. Yeah. And I love that in the intro to your book, you say, this is my heart smashed on the pages. So handle with care. And that's exactly how it felt in reading it. Yeah. Well, that's how it felt writing it. (laughs) I (laughs) can't even imagine Well, before we delve too far into that, I guess I'd love for you to share a little bit more about your history. I know you write in the book that you were always interested in the divine. You wanted to be a priest. Of course, they said no. And you're like, fuck this shit. And then eventually that led you to Harvard to study comparative religions. And it just sounds like you really have been on this soul quest for a really long time. Yeah, I have. Like you said, I've really been fascinated with spirituality, but I think that was because that was the closest name for what I was interested in, which I think for all of us is something along the lines of truth, you know, and love. And and where does that come from? And what does that mean? And how can I experience more of that or become more of that? So for me, that immediately showed up and forms of spirituality. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I pursued that, like all different kinds, all different areas, all different traditions in the classroom, outside of the classroom. And that also led me to realize that there were some, what felt like missing pieces within mm-hmm. that, especially for women. I know I'm not the mm-hmm. only one saying yeah. this, but also pieces that felt even a little bit more than that, that I was really looking for something that ultimately, and this is kind of the cliche, but I ended up finding within myself. Right. And I think that has then become just a real natural passion of mine. I am nowhere, you know, any expert in this. I'm not like done with my own process, but I am very passionate about people really taking the time to find their own distinct divine identity and soul and trust their own experiences and to just really dig deep into the soil of their own being because the richness there and the uniqueness and the gifts are something that we just need so badly on this planet. So I think I'm just kind of like a messy example. (laughs) (laughs) A messy, incredibly imperfect example of someone who's doing that. 
there's many reasons why I have to make my story public, but yeah. um, one of them on just a very personal level is because I just love meeting women like you and other yeah. people who are doing their own thing. So we all know that we are not alone and that we yeah. are doing this together. And it's really, really important on the soul path. Yeah. And you kind of started along one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, because I've been on this personal quest for self-love officially for like two and a half years now, right? I went in to see, you know, my therapist, right? Susan Lipschitz. Yeah, I've met her. She's amazing. Yeah, yeah I she, really, really her. Yeah, she is incredible. And I went in one day and I was like, okay, I'm going to love myself. Go. How do I do it? One, two, three. <laughs> and obviously that's not how it works. And when I read your book, one of the themes that I took away from it is that very much like The Wizard of Oz with Dorothy, like you had the power all along. Everything is within you. And I was curious about your thoughts about like, what is the purpose of the human experience? And is it to get connected to the divine so that we can connect to ourselves? What I would say, <laughs> I don't know, like in the big mm -hmm. grand scheme, what it is for each person. I know for me, it has been to be human and to have the experience of being divine at the same time. Mm. And that can get lopsided at different points where there's even a time where we just feel like we have absolutely no connection whatsoever to anything resembling the divine or called the divine or whatever name we might call it. And that's an incredibly lonely and isolated and separated place and something mm -hmm. that's very common. We have all experienced that or we are experienced it at different times in our life. Even after we felt like we've connected, we have profound experiences of disconnection as well. Mm -hmm. And then there are also some of us that sometimes can get like lopsided in the other direction and we can have too much tendencies towards the divine, towards yeah. transcendence, towards perfectionism, towards light, towards consciousness, towards, I don't know, green drinks, all is one, meditation, I don't know, that whole shebang. We can get out of balance with that. And in doing so, then we also end up kind of strangely, but devastatingly losing contact and connection with our own humanity. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, the real sweet spot that isn't always stable, but it's something that I've found the most rewarding and authentic and true is the both and yes. like being both like my human, messy, honest self mm -hmm. <laughs> that's here, that's struggling, that's learning, that's fucking up, that's cleaning up, that's just figuring it all out, that's feeling incredibly lonely at times, that's feeling incredibly connected at other times. And then also, um, being able to hold in that same exact breath and time, the fact that I am also this enormous, ancient, distinct divine being, as mm -hmm. I believe everyone is. So holding that both is just a really punky paradox. Like, it's just kind of awkward and mm -hmm. <laughs> necessary, in my opinion. To me, that magical combination to me is really the key that opens all of our hearts, it opens healing, but it also opens the transformation, not just for us, but also for this planet. So it's something that I am still learning, but I am very devoted to. And it's something that I don't always feel like I can mentally understand or even articulate that well, if you can't tell by now, but <laughs> I do feel that we all know when we're having the experience of it or when we're in the presence of it, our whole body responds to the both. Our whole body responds mm -hmm. to know that we are being both the human and the divine. And to me, that meeting point is really the soul. So when we know mm -hmm. we are really embodying our own soul, it's like shit happens. Magic happens. Mm -hmm. Like bodies do weird things and, you know, 
butterflies burst out of her butt. Just like amazing <laughs> stuff. <laughs> if you that know, ever like, happens, I'm taking a video <laughs> for sure. I feel like that sometimes happens on the last day of my retreats because I'm like, I don't know what is going down here. That's but awesome. It's the most like real deal mm-hmm. thing. Like you feel like you are meeting and greeting raw, true life. And that's something I crave. Mm-hmm. And I think you're so right about the, you know, I don't think you said gray, but you said a lot of people are thinking in black and white. And I've, I found this especially dividing when it's become political. Right. And I have so many liberal friends who are just outraged right now and they're outraged, but they're doing the same thing as the people they're pointing their fingers at. And I'm always like, no, there's some space in between where we have to really hear the experiences that people are going through to understand why they feel the way they feel. And all of this is part of the human experience and people's fear of connecting with the divine fear of opening up to something like that. There's so many emotions, I think, that get in the way for people and fear's got to be the biggest one I imagine yeah no you said that really beautifully I completely agree I mean dropping to that place inside of us where we're really feeling another human yeah that's not always easy because that is going to reawaken and reopen our own humanity and the parts in us that that other person is you know reflecting or being I mean there's so much complexity to it but it's also Mm -hmm. so simple I mean, right. to drop in and to like try to just be with another human as they are and as you are is something that to me just sounds and feels a lot like love and not like some sort of new agey cliche <laughs> version of right. love, but just an honest, like, I'm willing to be here. I'm willing to understand. I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to accept the fact that this planet is like rocking and rolling right now, not in very devastating and not pretty ways Mm -hmm. and and learning how to participate. And this could be today just being willing to sit and listen to someone who has opinions and voices and ideas that are completely fucking different than mine. Right. And just in that moment, understand that there is actually something being seated there that Mm -hmm. this planet needs more than almost anything else. And that to me is love. Right. And it sounds like real empathy, too. And I think empathy encapsulates love. And the thing that I find makes empathy difficult is when people can't get out of their own way to see other people clearly. Yeah, well said. And again, that's fear, right? Fear of truly looking at ourselves. And that begs the question, I guess, in your work and the people that you've come across, Because denial is a big thing that's been showing up in my life personally and professionally, not for me. Somehow I was granted this inability to experience denial. I can't do it. (laughs) So awesome. (laughs) I'm like kicking and screaming to have the truth be known. But I watch other people struggle with it. And it's hard for me because I feel like this is kind of an innate thing I was born with. It's hard for me to help people shift out of that aside from working on the fear. But I don't know if you've noticed any patterns with people of like what sorts of things make people more afraid to step into that authenticity and that divinity. And are there different sorts of people that have an easier time stepping into that? That's a great question. I will do my best. (laughs) No pressure. You. Yes. You have to solve everyone's problems right now. Go. (laughs) I. And someone that experiences denial. You know, I have spent a long time denying my own truth, my own self, what I am here for. And my reasons vary there across the board. So I 
would venture to say that's probably the same for others. Definitely fear, as you mentioned before, fear in all kinds of forms, Mm -hmm. (laughs) fear of what happens when I start to speak my truth or live more authentically, the reactions from others, losing people Mm -hmm. that I love, fear of my own power in doing so, fear of being lonely because no one will understand or want to be around something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, fear of harming others somehow by doing so, fear of getting it wrong. Yeah, fear of messing up in the process, fear of having to face, this is the big one, I think, for a lot of us. But for me, getting to know who I am, which again, I am still in that process and will probably always be in that process. But that requires, at least in my case, getting to know my wounds and my shadows and all the things that I have turned away from from a very, very, very long time and facing and feeling those things. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I think when I was younger and part of that, you know, kind of consciousness community type cliche where I'm like, I just want to know and be my true self. Mm -hmm. You know, the reality was the majority of me was like, fuck that shit. No, I don't. But that's the unconscious part, right? So there would be this like push pull of like, why can't this happen? And it was because until I did using just like my label, like the soul work of really Mm -hmm. going in and digging deep and facing so many things I've turned away from inside myself. There's no way I could start to quote be my true self. Mm -hmm. So there's a huge fear there. And like I said, there's so many layers of that. And each one probably has like many different facets and bullet points and you can just go and go and go. It's like a rabbit hole of fear. Oh God. Yeah. So, you know, that's there. And I also want to say that we also are living on a planet that has a lot of very tight, restrictive programs and paradigms Yes, that have been instated in so many insidious ways. And so we are also coming across that when we mm-hmm. are trying to step into ourselves more. We are getting hit with everything you can think of on every dimension you can think of, which is basically saying like, don't you dare. Yeah. And it will come up in a very perfect sort of recipe for each of us, what that's going to look like and sound like. But I want to just mention that because I think there's also a tendency. I mean, I know there has been in my case to be hard on myself for being like, why can't I just go do this and be this. You know, I'm doing mm-hmm. all this inner work. I'm doing all and blah, 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 blah. And we're also part of a much greater picture in an organic timeline and a process that is so much fucking bigger than us that has its own particular timeline. And we're mm-hmm. coming across things, like I just mentioned, that are purposely in place to prevent us from doing this, or at least just be really strong forces that we have to push up against in right. this process. So there's a lot going on inside and outside of us. And denial, in some ways, is just another form of protection. Yes. Often it's very legitimate. Mm-hmm. And what you were saying reminds me of I'm about halfway through Steve Taylor's The Leap. Have you heard of this? The Psychology of Spiritual Awakening? I have heard of that. I haven't read it. It's fucking awesome. And like I said, I'm only about halfway through, but he talks about there being a point where obviously indigenous cultures were only connected to the divine and nature and everything natural because that's all that they had. And then there was a fall from that culturally a fall. And people began to rely on intellect and rules. And it's gotten us to this point 
But now it's time for an integration of spirit and spirit natural and the science. And then we become these super, he doesn't say we become super beings. That's in my head because I want to be a super woman, but you are. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what that reminded me of, right? Like we can connect those things rather than it having to be either or. Yeah, definitely. And we have to, I mean, the planet's basically like not going to continue if we don't. So, right. (laughs) So we're all getting pressed into that in our own ways. And there is a tremendous amount of resistance. And Mm -hmm. as you, you know, mentioned before in terms of denial and even mentioned like empathy and things like that before, I think it's also been interesting, at least in my life personally, to also come across the reality. Like to me, I think there's like a lot of like, I have some naive aspects for sure that are like, we're all in this together. We're all struggling and trying to do this and make things right. And I know there's like assholes out there, but in general, like this is it. And I do think there are also things just, you know, psychological things and due to trauma and due to things like that, that have some people this time around not capable of doing the empathy thing. And their denial runs on kind of a different level. And it's something that, yeah, I'm just definitely in the process of learning about that and realizing, you know, like this is really kind of different for each of us, even though I do feel there's a collective movement, we do have to be aware of people that are just like really not on board with us. (laughs) Right. Well, I always repeat what Susan says, because it's so brilliant. And this is probably a very, I guess, inarticulate way to say it. But she was talking about soul age in relation to like where we are with our actual like soul journey. And she was like, young souls are like Donald Trump, right? And they're just (laughs) throwing tantrums all the time and they have no capacity to tolerate change. And they're just these little baby souls just trying to figure out who the fuck they are. Right. And then there's like medium age souls where we're the ones who've done kind of the ego work to get out of the way. And then we're the ones who are like kicking and screaming to like make change with our soul and really embody something different and learn the lessons. And then old souls like my husband have already done everything and they're like, whatever, I'll just follow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So he's just like, you want to, you know, quit your job and open a business. Okay. All right. It'll be fine. love it. Well, I'm so glad they're here. Thank God for the old souls. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I'm glad we're all here. But yes, those are definitely good to be around. It's awesome that you're married to one. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And speaking of souls, I'd love to talk about Sarah. Yeah. 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 So for people listening, I don't want to describe it because I feel like when people are like, oh, what are you reading? And I'm reading your book. I do a terrible job of explaining what it's about. And I then talk more about like soul retrieval. And then that seems to like get people on board. But because <laughs> I don't want to make you sound like a crazy person because you're not. And that's part of the fear that you talk about in writing this. So how do you explain Sarah and your discovery of her and your connection with her? Sure, sure. Sarah is a part of my soul that I have had to retrieve and reclaim. And for people who do not know what the hell we're talking about, referring to Sarah, (laughs) you are Sarah and I am Sarah. Right. Holy shit. um, Like, what's happening? So, Sarah is the forgotten daughter of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. So, it's been very difficult to try to describe what this is. And I don't know if I ever will have like Mm -hmm. the best words to describe this because I think I'm describing something that, on one hand, 
is so natural that it's like supernatural. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, I also feel like, like we were talking about earlier, there's a lot of resistance and denial and fear Mm -hmm. about what this means or it doesn't mean. And again, it's, it's legitimate fear. It's legitimate confusion. I'll back up a little bit. In 2009, I met Marion Woodman, the union psychoanalyst. And that was when I realized that despite all my past studies and travels and explorations, and despite what at that point was looking like a kind of successful career in spirituality, I realized by sitting in front of this woman that I had lost my soul. Mm -hmm. And it was a really, really, really huge wake up call and very shocking and very humbling. And it led me to just, you know, kind of an obvious realization, but a very painful one that I could not continue to contribute to others or this planet if I did not find my soul. Mm -hmm. And so I really backed away from everything, my personal and professional life to try to figure out how I had lost it, why I had lost my soul, where the hell my soul was and all of that. That process has lasted nine years. Mm. Red Hot and Holy, which is the second book I wrote, mm-hmm. is about that process. It talks about meeting Mary Men and also really talks about how I reconnected what I call like my divine soul. And kind of during that actual process at the same time, I also realized that to kind of circle back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation, that it wasn't enough for me just to connect and start to embody my divine soul, that there was also this huge missing piece with what I would call it my human soul, or really like my humanity. And that led me on this journey and this process of recovering and retrieving more of like my human soul. And during that time period, what was happening was that I was having just very normal, down to earth, nothing woo woo or cosmic or grand, Mm -hmm. but just really simple memories and full body awarenesses of Sarah, the daughter. Mm -hmm. And it was literally like if someone was just like, oh, all of a sudden they start remembering what happened to them when they were like five years old. Mm -hmm. Like it was just what it is. It also had this part of it where it helped me understand so many aspects of who I am today and why my life was going in the direction that I was going Mm -hmm. in and many, many different things that helped me understand sort of the root of my wounds, the root of my trauma, the root of where I lost my soul. And every type of inner processing work, anything that I was doing during that time, 90% of it would just whoop, take me back to that particular mm. time and yeah. what was going on with Sarah. So it became really something that I could not escape from. And I tried in many different ways. I am a Harvard trained scholar. I am someone that prides herself on being pretty grounded and mm-hmm. being someone who is energetically astute and psychologically reflexive and mm-hmm. critically minded and not someone that hops on some sort of train. I'm really aware of all the different dangers and potholes and things that happen when we venture into this territory of what we could be calling past incarnations. Mm-hmm. All of that. I'm basically too aware. I'm yeah. overeducated in some ways because it's also something that ended up getting in the way of just doing soul work. So that's really been kind of my secret and my process, my greatest struggle, my greatest love has been working with this Sarah piece. And, you know, really getting to a point that if I did not retrieve her, and if I did not share my experiences publicly, it became really clear to me that I would not continue living. 
that this piece of me was so essential for reasons that I could not mentally understand that would make me wince in every direction, but it was so essential for my life and for my healing, but just also just for life that I ended up writing revelations, struggling most of the time through it. And as you were saying at the beginning, just trying to find the words to articulate what this is. And to give it the integrity and the respect it deserves, not mm-hmm. just for me, but for every single human that is going mm-hmm. through some yes. sort of similar process, whether it is from this lifetime or, quote, another lifetime. But anyone who is doing this kind of like stranger than fiction, but realer than real work of who the fuck am I? What is the root mm-hmm. of all these things that I am dealing with? And how do I hold this and heal this in a way that is totally natural, but is the real deal and hopefully going to change not just my life, but um, the planets, not in some big grandiose way, but in just a simple, honest way. So that is Revelations. And I mean, one of the things with the book is you can read it any way you like. I really invite people to just trust themselves. And if they do not resonate with my soul's reality, it really does not matter to me. What is so much more important to me is that they get more up close and personal with their own soul's reality. And they start taking that reality seriously because Mm -hmm. it so desperately needs to be taken seriously. We have a major epidemic of soul on this planet. So that's sort of the gist. You can read it as a metaphor. You can read mm-hmm. it as an archetype. That is not what it is for me. It mm-hmm. is real for me. And that is something I am standing for and, and as. You know, you talk about how maybe difficult it was for you to put it into language and that walking away from reading this book the first time, that's kind of how I felt. I tend to not remember specifics about things, but just how they made me feel. And I just remember reading this book, weeping through most of it and feeling like it was speaking to a piece of me that didn't have words. And there was just this feeling of connection to you, to Sarah. I mean, obviously, with my name being Sarah and my mom calling me (laughs) princess, you know, right? Like when I, I remember reading Red Hot and Holy and feeling really connected to it then. And, you know, I don't know what that necessarily means. And I don't need to know. But I know that I feel connected and I felt There was something in the way in which you embraced your own healing, the way that you bravely and imperfectly and beautifully captured this messy, sometimes horrifying, it sounds like, experience. And we're willing to share that level of vulnerability. Brava. It just... Thank you. It really meant so much to me. And I hope for other people reading it can get the same. Like you said, it doesn't matter whether you believe that Sarah existed or whether you believe Sarah is a part of you. But there's so much in here that people can get about connecting with their own souls. I'm so on board. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. How has life changed since you've claimed Sarah? If, if at all. I'm sure a lot. <laughs> like, let's see. Yeah. Okay. So this book has been out since the end of May. Mm-hmm. And right before it came out, during when it came out, right after it was like a very horrific ending of my six year relationship mm. in a very painful and messy way that pretty much like it took like all of my attention away from mm. this like public revealing of Sarah. Mm. And there's a bunch of things that have happened. And I literally just landed at the place that's not even, you know, where I will be temporarily at just like a week ago. And so in some ways, on a physical level, things have like dramatically changed. 
on an internal level, what's changing in some ways is very simple. I feel like I'm finally like breathing through my whole body for the first time. Like I feel like I'm finally just mm. like being myself and kind of just like, you know, I know probably anybody who reads this, half the people are going to think I'm fucking crazy or yeah. whatever, but I am here. And that really was the point of this book mm-hmm. was to get my soul home and feeling Sarah as me and being able to speak as her and not separate is like a healing like no other. Mm. And just being able to walk around and be like my awkward self in this, it's just, it's hard to describe, but there's just a lot of healing and there's a lot of pain alongside of it because of all Mm -hmm. this change. And it's still just very, very new. And there are still parts of me, like talking about the beginning, that are still wanting to hide at certain points where with this, you know, I just did like a retreat last weekend, you know, and I never even mentioned red relations. So there's still parts of me that are kind of awkwardly settling into what does this mean to be out loud with this publicly? Because Mm -hmm. it has been something I've held internally and privately for so, so, so long. So I'm just still noticing, you know, that I'm still in process with that. This might seem silly. It actually kind of makes me think of the coming out process for the LGBTQ community and how there are stages to that. Right. And there are some stages where people are shouting it from the rooftops and some stages where they're like hiding it more. And then eventually there's kind of a settling into just this is my identity. And so I wonder if you will go through those sorts of stages in this coming out process. Well, you know, thank you. And yeah, like, I don't want to assume, you know, things mm-hmm. that are not, but in my own way, what you just shared was very helpful for me to hear. Oh, good. <laughs> I was just like, oh, okay, yes. There are that whole roller coaster is there. And, you know, I had to like come out to my this life parents. Yeah. And I did that like a year ago, you know, my soul was very much like, you need to tell them in person. Mm. And I was like, now, do we have to put it now? <laughs> you know, and it was just like the whole you know, it was a really awkward, excruciating process. And I remember right before I said the words, like right before I told them what Red Relations was about and like really about, (laughs) I had the fear that everything came up. It it was like, even from just a purely biological level of knowing that what you're about to share is going Mm -hmm. to change this relationship with the people that like birthed you. Like it's just, it's so humbling, everything that comes up. And so people who have been doing this for a while, I am just like on my fucking face in front of them and gratitude and admiration Mm. for everyone who has come out in any sort of way on this planet, because holy fucking shit, it's real. And it is so brave what they have done. And like, there's no way like someone like me could have been doing something like this mm-hmm. if there weren't all these brave souls in front of me and around me doing it. Like there's just no way. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's just one of those human experiences of learning, of learning to share more of who we are when it stands in contradiction or even sometimes opposition to those around us. I do want to ask you about your thoughts about the term wounded healer. Any thoughts about how that may or may not apply to you? Will you describe it in the way that it, like what it means to you, the wounded healer? Well, it's funny. I guess I usually say that and let people interpret it on their own. But, you know, the podcast is really about us doing our work while simultaneously helping other people. And the only way that we can help other people is by getting in touch with our wounds and identifying those and that 
one can't be a healer without being a wounded healer. It's kind of how I look at it. I really like that. Yeah. So wait, what was the question? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, that was good. Oh, good. Um, Check. Yes. Ditto. (laughs) I guess for me, I've always had a hard time relating to the word healer, but I definitely relate to what you shared with the absolute necessity of getting in touch with and for me, really entering my wounds mm-hmm. in order to do my own healing and then be better able to contribute to others. It's an absolute necessity, you know, for me. And mm-hmm. as I mentioned with Marian Woodman, there was just, it was so clear and it is still so clear that, you know, every bit of work that I do on my own around with the healing it just directly impacts everything else I do, no matter what sort of interaction it is, no matter what sort of personal or professional work that I do. And it's mandatory. And for me being like a, a little bit, I mean, I'm like small potatoes, but a little bit of a public person because of having books out. And I think anybody who does any sort of work directly with other people, whether mm-hmm. they have science or anything, it's just necessary. And you feel it in your bones and your cells. It's not a mental thing. Like, oh, I have to do this in order to be a good, you know, coach Mm -hmm. or therapist. It's like your whole body is like, there's just no other choice. This is what we do. Not fun or easy or pretty, but it's what we do. And I think it can get, sometimes for me, this particular process of retrieving my own soul has been a nine-year process. Now, the actual process of like fully integrating and embodying that will probably take me the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. But there were so many times during this nine-year process that I was like, God, am I just being like a fucking Northern Californian navel-gazing? Like, (laughs) it's just just so like, I'm just going so into my wounds and like, and I'm like hearing like Carolyn basic echoing in the background, like, don't get stuck in your woundology, you know, like all that stuff. So it was an important voice that I needed to like keep, you know, present to keep looking at and to be aware of. But I also, on a kind of soul level, my soul kept sharing that this time in was really necessary in Mm. order to go out again. And so what I can bring when I'm out is just more real. It's more Mm -hmm, honest. mm -hmm. I'm I'm not like a monkey throwing my shit around quite as much because I owned more of it, even though I will be again doing this for the rest of my life. So I think that struggle is also kind of a common one for some of us that are getting pulled inward to really do the work of facing and healing the wounds. I think, as you said, there is definitely a time in the process where you're just continually doing both. You know, you are being out there and you are helping in whatever ways you can. And then you are coming home at night and you're like, all right, (laughs) Mm -hmm. now let's dive in. Well, and that's one of the other things that I really took away from this book, because over the past several years, I feel like I've continually had awakenings and have always felt that I am a better therapist because of all the therapy that I've gotten and the things that I seek out for my own healing. And after reading this book, I was like, my healing is most important. And that doesn't mean that the work that I do isn't important, but my purpose on this planet is to heal myself. And it's a positive consequence that I get to help other people through it as well. Yeah, definitely. And not to get too woo-woo, but why not? We're at the end of the interview. I fully believe through experience and through memories that when we do do this, it really has enormous ramifications that Mm -hmm. we might not ever be consciously aware of. And I know that. I mean, I know it. I know we all feel that. 
mm-hmm. in different ways, but it's just a really, really good reminder. And I also have found just through my own healing work, like really taking the time to do this soul work in the manner and the way and sort of the intensity that I needed to do. Now, there is more of a craving to just do really fucking ordinary, simple shit. Like, I'm mm. like, I'm going to go be like an Uber Eats driver. I'm going to walk some dogs. <laughs> I'm going to like be a part of the city council now. You know, like, awesome. I'm like it just kind of is making everything more ordinary instead mm. of this thing where like, and now I'm out and I'm here to heal and save the mm-hmm. world. It's like, no, I'm here to figure out, you know, if we need a stop sign on the street. So it's yeah. really, for me, been a beautiful homecoming in a different kind of way. And that sounds so human. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sarah, thank you so much. I feel like I could talk to you forever. I know. Well, we can always do this again. <gasps> and just like hang out with you in person. At some Yay! Point. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> thank you. I love that. Thank you. Thank you so, so, so much to Sarah Beek for speaking with me today and for sharing her story with the world. And as always, thanks to Andrea Clunder and Edwin Ruiz at the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, Liam O'Donnell for the album art photo, and Ben Mueller for our theme music. For more information on Sarah Beek, you can visit my website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. And you can find Conversations with a Wounded Healer on Facebook and Twitter. Follow us on Spotify or subscribe on iTunes, Google Play or Stitcher. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time.